Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to Rise of the GM, where today we're going to be talking about some fraudulent heroes. We're going to be talking about the cosmology and planes as our main topic, but also about a con. All this and more today here on Rise of the GM. Well, guys, it is good to be back. I'm not even going to lie to you today. Adam and I, we are... We're hitting it kind of uh, seat of our pants. Uh, lots been special. going on here today. Lots been going on there today. We both have kids in session. So if for some reason there's a small knock at the door or I look distracted and then a young man walks into this screen, that's my son. <laughs> uh, he's with me today. Uh, and then I, I think Adam has his kids as well. Yeah, and uh, it's just, this is what happens when you're an, an awesome dad GM, right? Yeah. You have these times. So, uh, we are here today. We're going to be talking about uh, our encounter uh, starter, like always, uh, in just a moment. And then we're, we're going to hit some cosmology and planes today and then end with our NPC. It's going to be a good time. And you know what? We don't even know what we're going to say, but it's going to be so dang awesome. <laughs> You're going to listen to this one twice, I think. <laughs> Maybe not twice. Uh, all right. So uh, we are, I got to actually get to the, I'm the one reading the encounter today. Yeah. And we are talking about some fraudulent heroes. Remember, this is the encounter starters that uh, just something to spark your idea of things you can throw into your campaign. And so this one's called the price of glory and fame. So it starts off a bag of bloody clothing is dropped off in a town uh, in town with a ransom note attached and the garments are recognized as belonging to a famous party of adventurers who disappeared weeks ago right so the the town knew about them and now here's their bloody clothes the party was last seen by the townsfolk fending off a vicious pack of monsters who were stealing their goods so these monsters were coming to the town looting everything stealing everything and the last time they saw these uh adventurers the townsfolk saw them fighting the monsters so that's a good thing right People around town can be heard lamenting the fate of these brave souls. There's much to talk about uh, in that epic battle that ended when one of the adventurers uh, chucked the bomb into the fray and smoke explosion. When the smoke cleared, monsters were gone. So were the adventurers, right? Or no, the adventurers. Anyway, townsfolk, uh, to them, the adventurers are heroes. In truth, though they're frauds, right? The adventurers and the monsters worked together to stage the whole scene. The townspeople don't know that. First, the monsters harassed the towns, and then afterward, the party uh, arrived and offered to save the day for a fee that was equal to the task of rescuing the entire populace. So this is no small fee. They, they bargained a high price, but the people gave everything they could uh, because it was their town, right? And the con was almost a complete success. However, even after taking the money and making a clean escape, right? So they got the money after the monsters, I mean, after the, the bomb that killed all the monsters, they got the money and they left. Even after making that uh, clean escape, the swindlers decided they weren't done swindling. Party of Adventures attempted to cut out the uh, monsters' take. So they were supposed to split this with the monsters. That was yep. the deal. They didn't. Some of the party members escaped with the money, but the monsters were able to capture a few of them and holding them are holding them for ransom in a cave outside of town. Uh, a hooded man approaches the PCs. This is the way this is all going to start. A hooded man approaches the PCs and asks for their help. He is one of the uh, adventurers who escaped uh, the grasp of the monsters. But instead of fleeing with his share of the money, he wants the PCs to help him rescue the other adventurers. So he must have some loyalty there, right, to these people. Uh, and he promises a reward to sweeten the pot. Uh, the hooded man asks that they set out immediately. 
wanting to get there. Uh, in traveling to the cave, the PCs are then ambushed by monsters that seem to have been tracking the hooded man. Uh, the hooded man immediately kills the creatures that look like a, uh, the creature that looks like it's about to talk about the deal between the monsters and the the other adventuring party. Uh, a torn and bloodstained piece of paper is found in one of the creatures, uh, somewhere on one of the creatures, written in a pigeon of the creature's language and, a, and the common language. The message is hard to read, uh, but the, the PCs uh, can make out things like money, town, attack, uh, maybe a date and time, planned run on smoke flash. Okay, so yeah. they could start putting together what happened here. PCs reach the cave, which uh, should be as labyrinthine as uh, the adventure requires. In the deepest section, the adventures that uh, the first adventuring party is tied up and the monster's leader is gloating over them. If the PCs confront him, he asks for a ransom and warns the PCs not to underestimate his intelligence or betray him like the other adventurers did. Mm. The hooded man's going to jump in and try and prevent the monster leader from saying too much. And so in this whole thing, the PCs might find the monster, uh, might fight the monster leader and then find out uh, more about the adventurer's treachery. The adventurers will attempt to bribe or kill them to keep them quiet. They don't want this to get out to the town or to the other uh, towns that they might try to pull this on. Alternately, the PCs might pay the ransom and be given the adventurers, still tied up uh, with the option to blackmail them or do as they please to them. No matter what, the adventurers are full of resentment and will do anything to keep their treachery hidden. So you got these fraudulent adventurers who came in and, and made a deal with monsters uh, and they're, they're basically fleecing these towns and then they're supposed to split it with the monsters, but they push their luck a little too far. Yeah. And now your adventurers have been called into this. Your, mm. your party has been called into this. What do you think you would do with this kind of encounter if you were running it and this was yeah, what you decided um, to do? I, uh, I get a little, this is like me talking into the way this is written. Like I, I got lost at times reading this and trying to remember, okay, I got to remember that some of this stuff is not known to the players, you know, right. like there's a lot in here. Um, that's, that's actually what's going on in the background. And you know, that as the GM, but the players don't see that until it's kind of revealed. And I do think that that's like super important to remember that stuff. And I, I the thing I'm kind of working through right now is, like where where this actually gets kind of engaged with your players like is it is it they come into a town and the town's like oh man our our awesome adventurers that came in here and were so heroic have disappeared you know are they are they all distraught about that because i i think there is a place to play that up um and like see that i you know um I was joking beforehand, but I have music man written down here. And the reason for that is that idea of like, it's like a, a con man coming in to this place and like is now beloved by the town by the end of this. And then real revealed to, Oh, actually doesn't know what he's doing. These aren't real heroes, you know, kind of thing. And I think there's a, there's a thing to play that play that like tension up too. But going back, is it like they've come into the town and realize, Oh, these people are, are missing now and they need rescued or, are you on the road or in some tavern and the guy comes up hooded and says, I need your help. You know, the, my, my friends have been captured. Um, so that's the thing I'm kind of like working through. And I don't, I don't know. How did you read that when you looked at this? So 
as I, I read the whole thing and then I kind of went to piece it together in my head. And uh, I think if I were doing this, if I were running this game, it would be you come into a town and maybe the first night you're in the tavern, the bard singing the spectacular of the spectacular battle that ended with a, a bomb being thrown in the midst and destroying all of yeah. the hated monsters. And um, uh, they would probably enlarge it and enhance the story a good bit uh, and uh, be like all jovial everybody would be like super happy yeah. and when you ask about it they're like yeah this just happened and these mm -hmm. monsters were taken okay. care of by whatever the name of the group is right then in my mind uh as you're waking up the next day or getting ready to plan your next move of whatever you've been doing mm -hmm. uh, that's when somebody comes in with these bloody clothes and a note saying that yeah there's a ransom and then they're like these guys have done so much good. You've got to help us. And so mm -hmm. they're kind of pleading uh, on one hand. Yeah. Uh, but then at the same time, um, this hooded man comes and he says, Hey, I need you to come with me uh, yeah. because I'm trying to remember in that note, um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to look here. Uh, did the note say where they were being held or just, we demand a ransom. So, I mean, you might have to make this up. Yeah, as right. Right. And uh, so I guess in my mind, the monsters want the money dropped off somewhere and they'll return right. the adventures. Well, then yeah. this hooded man comes and maybe sits at your table and he's like, I need your help. I know where they're being held, you know? And mm -hmm. it's like, oh, we don't have to just drop off money and wait for them to be returned. Right, right. Can you help me go rescue them? And yeah. and so as as you're going, you don't know anything about the, the duplicitous nature of these people and you're attacked by monsters and the monsters start to say something and this guy like kills it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and he does it in the name of, Oh, I just hate them so much after what they did to my, uh, you know, fellow adventurers. Right. But uh, eventually you get to the cave and that's when the whole confrontation happens. And then the, the guy at some point, somehow they're going to say, we were supposed to get part of this money and these guys mm. double, you yeah, know, yeah. You know, betrayed us. And right. so at that point, then I think that's where for me, I have to, I would have to think through, I'm going to give my players freedom here. I'm going to give my yes. players the freedom yeah. to either say, and you know what? You got yourself into this mess. You deal with it. Or mm -hmm. no, we're not paying the ransom. Or yes, we are paying the ransom, even though we shouldn't. You know, uh, right. I would suppose they would uh, have the ransom with them, meaning that somehow they let the town know, hey, we found out where they're being held. Give us the ransom. We'll take it and mm -hmm. help free your adventures. But then they get there and then they have to decide, do right. we keep the money? Do we take the money back to the town? Do right. we pay the money and get these adventures and then do something to them? Do we take them back to the town to serve justice? But the thing is, I don't want to lay out the possibilities. I don't want to say you could do this, this, or this. I would just like to, yeah. for, for me, the favorite part of this would be the decision. And so I would Absolutely. be like, Oh, here's what happened. And then just sit there quietly and then like yeah. watch them begin to debate among themselves. Cause there's going to be somebody who's like, well, they got themselves into this mess. And there's going to be somebody who's like, oh no, we're good. We've got to save everybody. Even right. these adventurers, you know, and watch that whole thing unfold. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for me, that's where the fun would begin in that, that conundrum in once you're in the cave <laughs> down deep Absolutely. and all of this is found out. Uh, and then you got the hooded guy standing there who looks like he's watching you. Do I, yeah. do I take off? Do, do I run? Maybe he's standing by the door watching to see which way you look like you're going to lean. Right. Like he's ready to yeah. make his escape. Uh, which way are the tides going there? Yeah. Right. And so then it comes down to uh, if you help them, what do you do for the town? Uh, how do you, how does this play? Do you yeah. let them go? 
Uh, are these going right. to be adventurers you meet again later somewhere who mm -hmm. said they were going to stop, but now they're pulling the same thing again in another town that you go right. down the road? Uh, maybe like, I don't know, six sessions later, you <laughs> run into this group yeah, again yeah. and you're like, yeah. you guys are still doing this. You've got to stop. Or yeah, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I like the, um, that kind of the, the way you're thinking about like with the town, uh, I like that. I even wonder about like if they're traveling, you know, they're going across country and they're even walking through town, visiting towns. And it's like, oh yes, these adventurers came in and helped us with, you know, you're like hearing stories even. Right. Several towns to in advance, yeah. all of these heroic deeds. Right. And you're like, man, these guys must well, be even more awesome than us. Like they're taking care of everything we were supposed to do, you know. So I don't, um, I don't think there's a PC party that would say that though. That they're yeah, more awesome like, than us. Uh, not, not, like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my my favorite part of this was like it was what you just said was the end of the fact that there are options. I said love the possible endings there because it, that is really great to have that that aspect of you know here is a situation I'm going to sit back and you're going to make a choice, you know, kind of thing. And we're going to play from there, but there are a lot of possibilities there. And I think that's a really cool thing to put your, um, your players, your table, your PCs into of like, what kind of party are you going to be, you know? And I've had some of those in the recent game, uh, where I had no idea, you know, and it was, it was definitely like, do what do what you're going to do figure it out together and we're going to move from there so that that's been cool to to see that um, and very often when i run games especially when i was first starting there was one adventuring party solving all the problems in the world mm -hmm. and so i do think it's kind of neat to have this idea that there are other adventuring parties out there and some of them are good and some of them aren't and so i think it's fun to mix in uh, like you said, like have, you know, several towns in advance, you keep hearing about these. And so you're like, oh, they, they must be something. Uh, and then you find out they're not, and they're the bad. Right. I, I love that idea of continuing to meet them down the road. If they decide to let them go in any way, even with stern warning, these guys can like seem so recalculant. They can be like, yeah, you know, Hey man, we, we see the air of our ways. We're going to stop, but then they do it again. And they're still right. doing it because that's their, that's who they are. But then at the same time have other parties who are like kind of competing for like heroic nature in the world with you. I, I think we've had some campaigns where we're not the only, what was the wanderers and the, who were the other ones? Travelers, the travelers and the wanderers. Right. And so I can't, I think we were the wanderers and they were the travelers. And uh, we were both fighting for glory. And um, yeah, we didn't like them because they were actually good and good at what they did. Maybe we were, we were fighting so that we were the best, you know. And uh, yeah, so having a group yeah. like that and having a group that's out there causing trouble and right. just having these other adventuring groups, it's a fun thing to do as a GM and for mm -hmm. your party. Yeah, I, I like the idea of, um, we've talked about it before, but the, just the fact that like time does pass in the game and it's not a it's not a video game where everybody's just standing around waiting to deliver their lines until you get there you know kind of thing okay. so the when you you know choose well we're just going to walk away from this well somebody's going to probably fight and something's going to happen or we're going to let we're going to save these adventurers and just let them go well what are they doing i mean that's the thing i think it's worth like thinking of is what are they actually doing in the world while we're doing over this? We're over here. Are they re-equipping and now they're doing the hustle again? Or are they 
now good guys, you know, or like what what is that kind of thing? And you know, it's we'll also that, so. also gives you a chance to play with conceptions of monsters, good and bad. Right? Yes. So these yes. monsters. Obviously, your players are going to want to like attack and kill them because they're monsters after all, right? Um, and but if they say, "Hey, we didn't really do anything," yeah, we we stole a few things from the town, uh, and we'll give those back. Maybe they say that, but we we didn't really attack anybody. We didn't do anything. We just kind of made a deal here to get some extra money. They they were the ones who brought the idea to us, and we're like, okay. Uh, and so, uh, right, then you yeah, have to absolutely. decide, okay, do we just like kill all these monsters in this cave or do we like let them go about their way and what can result from that? And yeah, I think yeah, uh, kind of sure. breaking that myth of all monsters are bad. I think we've talked about this in our previous, so what makes a monster, what makes somebody a monster? Right. Who's the more monster here, the party or the, you know, the monsters who they were making this uh, deal with. So all good stuff that you can drop into your campaign an encounter that can help you stem out into other areas uh, down the road of your campaign, or it can be very self-contained, however you want to do it. With that, we're going to move to our main topic of the day. And uh, we have no idea where this one's going to go. And we've said that before. <laughs> One of these days, we're going to have a show that just flops. There's going to be like absolutely nothing to talk about. We're just going to sit here. There's going to be crickets. We're going to be like, it's gonna be the big well? gulps, huh? <laughs> big gulps, huh? <laughs> well, so, uh, <laughs> Uh, cosmology and planes yeah. and more. Oh my. Uh, yeah. what are we talking about here, Adam? Yeah. Just kind of talking, you know, in terms we're, we're in this world building, um, series and, uh, this is a, this is a piece of that. I, you know, I think it's worth looking into. Um, and when we talk about like, you know, the planes, we can think of like the, uh, the like prime material plane is kind of generally, you know, if we want to use those terms again, this is kind of fitting into the more D and D style of terminology. So it depends on what game you're playing, you know, kind of thing too. And just know that, but a uh, prime material plane, you know, is typically what we're, or maybe our worlds are on, but then you have things maybe like the ethereal plane or the fire plane or the water plane, or, you know, these primordial planes of different things. And, um, so that that's like a piece of the the universe, you know, that your game is in, um, and the cosmology, kind of how those things connect together, and then I think like even like these deities in our fantasy games or these these gods that uh, you know have powers within the world, those are all things that like kind of connect into this, and I think it's worth thinking of in your game, but also knowing like and kind of tempering that of. Um, if I'm, you know, if I was actually able to keep my party just like in the back streets of the city, it may come up, but I may not need to know like where the fire plane and the ethereal plane overlap and how you can get between them. And, th you know, like, I think that's an important thing to remember, too, when in our planning is um, what's the scope of the game and it may be nice to know like, oh, well, some of these people in the back alleys are worshiping whatever. And that could like play a role in this game. Um, but I may not need to know like how the cosmos work if I'm keeping it pretty urban. Um, but as we kind of bring the scope out where it gets more epic, more heroic, those kind of things, um, I think it gets a little more important to know those, especially when you get like really powerful 
magic people who can <laughs> start walking between the planes, you know, and things like that. Right. Like it gets, it gets real, you know, there. And I think it's worth like knowing at least a little bit how that works. Um, I think a lot of the principles stay the same. You know, we've talked about in just world building, even uh, Matthew, you had that, that uh, illustration. You talked about how like a video game renders and it's like the whole game is not rendered out this where you're at is rendered. And I, I think that's like a good principle to think in terms of this too. But I thought it was worth having a conversation, you know, about how we've used that and like why we see that to be of importance. Um, but I did just kind of want to like disclaim that to begin with of you may be playing a game, Ascending GMs, where it doesn't matter all that much. And if you have like some broad strokes, you're going to be in a good place. But it may be a thing where you're like, no, I want to do like planar jumping this is the game is to go between these things, you know, and that that's, you're going to need a little more detail in that. So, um, any thoughts yeah. kind of initially on that, Matthew, when you first start as a GM, uh, I think it's like anything. So when you're a child and you're first, you're first learning to draw, you start by you, you put your paper over top of a picture and you trace and, and nobody in like art would be like, Oh, they're creating art, but you have to like begin to learn coordination of your hand and begin to learn what kinds of poses and, you know, things you can draw later, you will have it to the side and you will kind of look at that and, you know, draw what you see. And then at some point you get good enough that you begin to draw stuff just out of your head. That's kind of the same with GMing, right? So you start GMing and, and you're just kind of tracing what, uh, what is in this module. Um, and so you may use whatever they have in there. And then at some yeah. point you begin to kind of look at other, other games going on and you're like, okay, I'm going to do something like what he's doing. Cause that's cool. And mm -hmm. then at some point you get to where you're making games and plots and stuff out of your head, just like right. an artist. And then you become a true GM artist. Uh, <laughs> but in all of that, I think most of us start off unless it's in the module that we're looking at uh, there, there's planar stuff. Most of us. Our planar knowledge has to do with here and not here. Yeah. And right, so, yeah. Yeah. you know, you're line. using the, what is that uh, spell where you shoot and it's like all the colors of the rainbow and you roll to see uh, what happens on it. Prismatic spray. Prismatic spray. Yeah. One of those is you go to another dimension, right? Right. When I first started doing this and I would roll that number and Eric would be sent to another dimension, <laughs> I didn't have another dimension in mind. He was just not here. So yeah, right. unfortunately for, for Eric, Whenever that happened, he was just sitting there watching the rest of us play until right. he could come back, which seemed to happen a lot Yeah, <laughs> for Eric. Uh, but Bad anyway, luck. that was that was the extent of my planar knowledge. Right. My planar knowledge was you're here or you're somewhere else that we're not thinking about and you just sit there. And mm -hmm. the less I knew it was going to be like, oh, this is something fire. And then the extent of that was, oh, yeah, this, this hole opens and fire pours right. out, you know, and it's yeah, like yeah. super hot. If you go in there, you're going to die pretty quick. That kind of thing. That's that was the extent of my planar knowledge. Then, right. as I got uh, further in my GM, on my GM road, I began to kind of you know look around, and somebody would talk about like, oh, the 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 plane of the Fey, and I'm like, oh, that'd be kind of fun to like mm -hmm. not just think about it's there, but like let's have my characters go in, and while they're in there, they're going to have an encounter. Mm -hmm. So, what would they encounter in Fey, and what would the rules be? Blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the same thing with maybe you know uh, when I first started in uh, 
what's the what's the one where you got to have a sword that has ghost touch to hit it? What's the ethereal plane? Ethereal, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, if I was going to have somebody go into the ethereal plane, what kinds of things would they encounter? What would that be like? And what would it be like to be in the ethereal plane? You know, these ethereal things come to our plane, and you can't always hit them unless you have a ghost touch weapon. Right. But what would happen if you went there? And so, so I got that, and then. I got to where I was making up some bigger scope of planar adventures in that, like with this last one, I I talked about us going to Occipitus, the 400 and whatever level of hell. Uh, They went to this this plane and you guys spent a good amount of time on this plane and you encountered a lot of environment and each other and that sort of stuff. So uh, it's the same, it's the same as, you know, you start little here and other and then you get a little more and you get a little more and then at some point you're going to start thinking about like how do all of these cosmologies stack you know where where are they in relation to one another uh or is there is that even fruitful to think about it like right yeah 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 um yeah i think it's really you mentioned like modules and things and um if we're thinking like strictly like planar i think there's a place for us to um like create totally, but, um, there's a lot made, you know, and if you want to use like the official (laughs) stuff, like there, there's a lot out there, you know, more than actually, I will say, I have not read all that. You know, I, I get my mind kind of, kind of twisted sometimes when I'm thinking about that stuff, but there's, there's a lot of, um, just like official content that you can right. And there are some GMs who love Mm -hmm. the idea of cosmologies and like, they love to read all of that. And then that plays into their game a lot more. And, you know, you may be one of those people from the very beginning, you get that, you know, that book about cosmologies and planes and you begin to just read it because it's so interesting to you. And then of course that's going to seep in to your game a lot more than it does to someone like mine, where it was like, not until the prismatic spray happened. I didn't (laughs) think about planes. Yeah. Are there, are there things like in past games for you or, or current game, Matthew, that like kind of fits into that realm of, of just like planar things or other worlds or um, even like, you know, we're kind of bringing that in with even like the way deities or things like that work. Like how has that kind of played a role in, in your games? Well, like I said, most of my games, especially starting out, were not too cosmology centered. We were on the material plane 99.9% of the time. And there was an occasional burst where you got sent somewhere else. This last campaign, the dormant mind where I had you guys go into occipitus, um, it's a lot more planar, but the problem here is you guys haven't encountered encountered it all yet, so I right, can't yeah, really yeah. talk about it on here. It's yeah. top secret classified. This is the problem when you're a GM who takes too long to get your stories <laughs> told, uh, because I do. Uh, but there is more planar in this one, and it was from the beginning. Planar was part of the story in this one, and it plays a part in the ending of this right. one that you guys yeah, yeah. shall not at this time know. But there, there was <laughs> places that you did run into. Uh, yeah, Josh is reminding us right now. Um, he was in that game, and he's talking about like the Fey Realm. You guys yes, did that. Yeah. Uh, you went through the Fey Realm for a while there. Um, you did go to Occipitus. Um, right. But there's like a lot more... <laughs> that you have not yet encountered. That's yeah. just something for you guys to look forward to who are in my game. And those of you who aren't, maybe someday I can talk to you about that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, 
<laughs> other than that, I can't say that the that the the different realms have played a ton in my games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that's the thing I think like, you know, we're probably kind of both coming more on that side of the continuum where like I've played I've played some games that were like they were planar oriented, you know, and it's, it was super fun. Um, and I, I think that's, again, it's just like, what is the scope of what you're wanting to do kind of thing? And it is a different feel. I almost, when we get really planar for me, um, it actually, for me, the game, and I, I like it in its place, but it almost is coming closer to sci-fi for me sometimes when for some reason the planes feel more that direction than it does fantasy. And that's me. I don't want to like put that on everybody, but um, it kind of bridges in a little bit for me. Where for you me, get it to... depends if it's more, if it's elemental or religious in some sort of way. So like, right. you know, those areas of hell or like fire, fire realms yeah, or, yeah. you know, ethereal realms, right. even that all feels still fantasy to me. Okay. I'm not sure what would feel sci-fi. Yeah. I think for me, it's when you get to places where maybe, um, people from different planes are interacting like peacefully. It feels like star Wars when you're like in the, you you know, you're like, you're in a, the, I don't know enough Star Wars, unfortunately, but the, you know, you're the bar. <laughs> the J.R.R. Tolkin guy uh, who was like Lord of the um, Rings now I, shows his yeah, the part yeah, where I, he has no knowledge. <laughs> I enjoy Star Wars. I don't know what to say, but you're, you know, you're in the bar and all the aliens are there kind of thing. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm diverging, but the, um, I, th- I think there's like a place, like I'm just trying to say with like your scope, of your game, what the theme is. And, um, for me, like I, I do, um, like having, that to be there but i i definitely for the most part fall into that like here or there and here is very detailed and there is kind of nebulous generally kind of thing but in my like my more recent game um the way it's played a role is more the point being what's trying to be getting across gotten across is more about like what's going on with the gods than it is with um, really trying to make a detail of like the land out there, you know, kind of thing. And it's not played a a huge role in the like micro story for you all um, or a lot of being talked about. Um, And I'm trying to figure out how much to give there, but um, there's a semi like in, in the back of my mind with all what we're doing right now, there's a semi like creation story in some ways taking place. That's kind of driving some of the things. And what the players do know is, you know, that there were Titans that were ravaging the land and they were bound by those gods, but then those gods left their avatars, but kind of pulled out of the prime, (laughs) the prime plane kind of thing. Um, And that's about all they know, but um, all that, you know, but um, that, there is this place of like, okay, where, where are they residing? And is that accessible? You know, and those are kind of questions I have to ask myself in that too. Um, in past games, um, there have been things where I really like, um, the idea of things being bound. Um, so I guess sticking with this game, there was that point where you all kind of got a glimpse of, the fire plane um, through a little teleport box kind of thing. 
Um, and you also connected that with one of the Titans that you managed to see the bindings of knowing that that's like connected there, you know? And so the fire plane definitely is connected to the game and has been seen and experienced to really small amount kind of deal. But I, I kind of going back to that, I really like things that are like imprisoned bound or exiled. Like those things for some reason always grip me as like a storyteller. So I have the thing like the Titans being bound. Um, my other game, the impending doom, it was a, an ancient dragon that was trying to be released um, kind of deal. Or in my first game, it was, connected to like a powerful item that had been kind of thrown into there <laughs> using that term again, you know, it's like, it's out there somewhere, right. you know, like we got it out of our world and, but now people want it back, you know, kind of thing. And so um, a lot of times like planes play that role for me. Um, I think even more so than like the, the travel, but there is that place for that too. Yeah. I think, uh, you said something about like most of the time you deal with any kind of planar stuff, it deals with the gods. I think that happens for me too, probably because it's a very sci more, uh, sorry, not sci-fi and more fantasy right. sort of idea. The thing that I, I think I think about when I think about planar uh, is that these places are not places you go permanently they're not places you go long term they're very temporary because things from one plane do not belong in other planes and it's the same with them visiting here i think for me very 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 few things and maybe that's what makes it part of the story is it's so rare uh very few things come from a plane and spend any amount of uh connected time on this plane um, it's usually a visit and gone sort of thing. Okay, so yeah. if something's here longer and it's the same when, when we go there, like man, material man was not meant to live in a fey world because logic mm. and reality is different there. Right. And the same thing, if you go to, you know, obviously a fire plane is a place you don't spend any time unless you have some powerful magic keeping you safe. That's not going to last forever. You're there for a little bit and then you get out. Uh, in my game, I think, uh, I had a bit of it, at least the lore of it, that was in the celestial plane. If you remember, there was a battle in the celestial plane, and yeah. part of that celestial plane was cut off and thrown down into the depths of hell. That became Occipitus, right? And it was all because there was this, this being who had begun making these raids down into hell, and he had been down there so much and spent so much time making these raids as like this great righteous person that he then was turned somehow and uh he led a revolt up into heaven and right. they almost didn't get it stopped and the only way they could was to cut off this realm throw it into the the depths of hell and it became occipitus and you guys got some of that but you, yeah. even if you went to the celestial plane you would not stay in the celestial plane because mm -hmm. that's not where a human belongs and you cannot kind of cohere stay yeah, coherent yeah, yeah. as a right. human in the celestial plane, plane for long before you then lose your material and you become just a celestial being, mm. uh, a soul of some sort. Yeah. Same thing if you would go to hell. You can't stay there forever. You don't just go down and say, I'm just going to live. Although one of you, 
in our party became the yeah, Lord of Accipitus, which <laughs> is this place that maybe can be restored to a celestial place, depending right. because whoever is the Lord of it influences like the way it manifests. Anyway, uh, all that to say, all of the planes that I could think of, they're places that are very temporary. Um, right. Yeah. But there is this idea that there's there's a lot more there, and you guys have to figure out how much of how how much can you stay there before it starts to affect you? Or as the GM, yeah. I get to help decide some of that. How, how long right. can you guys stay there before it starts to affect you? And then what is that effect? And mm-hmm. uh, I think, uh, I think planes are, are fun to play with. And I would love for one of our viewers who is really into planar stuff and cosmo cosmology, who uses it a lot in their campaigns to, mm-hmm. you know, drop you. Know, we said we kind of come from a, less planar, less cosmologically diverse sort of gaming master scenario. Mm -hmm. We mostly play in the material plane with some jaunts here and there. Uh, And like I said, with this last game, I have gotten a little more thought of how those, some of those planes begin to affect our encounters and our campaign. But somebody who does like that a lot, somebody who did pick up that cosmology and planar book and read it, back, you know, cover to cover and just like mm-hmm. got so inspired that they built like whole campaigns about planar traveling and whole campaigns about like what happens if you're here or here and where is everybody at? I'd love to hear, you know, some of your uh, just experiences uh, right. or some of your thoughts on this because we're not going to be experts at everything, although we're pretty expert at a lot, right? <laughs> Uh, we just love to talk uh but it it is nice to hear from people who are more expert absolutely than we are yeah yeah i think one of my favorite parts of planes is um is that discovery you know we talked about the eight types of fun a while ago hey by the way this is episode 26 26 that means we have been doing this for Six months for half a year, right? Half a year. There's 52 weeks in a year. Yep. Boom. Halfway. Um, we wanted so, to make that. We wanted to mark that. We talked about it a couple yeah, times yeah. ago, and I totally forgot that yeah, this was 26. It, it's awesome. So um, <laughs> thanks all for being with us through this. But looking back at, you know, it was episode eight was the eight types of fun and um, that discovery idea. I think I like that a lot as a player. Like I get to discover all the more when we like go into planes. So that that's a fun, a fun piece of that too, of just like the exploration when we were in Occipitus. It's like, man, what's what's gonna be around the bend here? You know, and it's probably gonna be gross. But like it's gonna be a slapping, <laughs> slapping skin fold sea that you're gonna fall into. <laughs> oh man. Um but uh you know that 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 is a fun piece of that. So um kind of kind of like turning a little bit because we we've touched a little bit on like gods and deities and things like that in in our games um you know with that i i i definitely lean that way um to having um those like entities in games a lot um and uh you know i that i think it's worth having a little bit of a convo about that too of like how we use gods how we use deities and um, i'll be the first to say for me like i don't um i kind of like slap things together (laughs) a lot of times i have too many influences and i've played too many systems and it gets confusing sometimes of like wait who's in this and um i just chalk that up to this is the world we're in you know of like if i accidentally pulled a pathfinder god into a bunch of forgotten realms ones it's gonna just be fine but um that's me again i'm 
not necessarily needing to be that specific with what I do, but the, uh, I feel like that, especially in the, um, kind of driving a, maybe a quest forward a lot of times, um, lately for me at least has been, if, if nothing else, like the Oracle idea of giving, giving wisdom to like, what's the next step kind of thing. Um, this game right now we're in, they're playing a very large role because of these avatars and the way that they have bound this Titan, um, even to the point of like giving boons and that kind of thing. I, I think it's been a help for me to like push the story along and like help there to be like information that's dripped, you know, at those times that we've talked about when you interact with them. Um, and I really like the, the even like connection to like a specific like player story. Um, right now it's like Pip with Saluni um, that we talked about last time, but that there can even be like that kind of thing happening. So um, you talked, you know, about the um, like the old gods in the dormant mind game and how that like for me was a big like reveal of like understanding. Oh yeah. These are things I know, you know, Josh is in the chat and, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Arafel, you know, his character is like connected deeply in that way. Um, but is that like, does that tend to be a pretty strong thing for you, Matthew, with like just bringing in like deities and things like that? Or is it kind of, I guess, how have you done that? So not every game, hmm. um, a lot of games. So if you remember back the Oracle of Order, it was about prophecy. It was about the emperor. It was about madness, but it was all human. Right. I don't think there was any gods anywhere in that one. Um, and uh, really, it wasn't until I got to this one, like the the Blood of the Kings, the, the, the Nine Moons, there was no gods there. That was just, they found a way to teleport to these different places, and there was men right. in power, you know, men in power in different places, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it was this one that I really started playing a lot with uh, gods and and the the planes and those ties to that. And I would say that it depends on your character. Certain characters love love the idea of like having a connection, uh, being the favored champion of a god, yeah, right, or being right. like the vessel of a god, or having some sort of secret, uh, not secret, but some sort of communication right. that they can you know, have with the gods. So, mm -hmm. uh, Josh with Arafel, um, or Kairos, I should say, Kyrus, yeah. <laughs> with Arafel in this one. And, uh, I think Chris's character in most of our games loves that same sort of thing. Uh, so he played uh, a guy named Silas in one of your games yep. who was this, who was he, his God was the sun God. I can't even remember. Paylor, maybe, Paylor, maybe did yeah. Paylor. Yeah. Uh, and then now, you know, Pip has, he, right. he's actually gotten with a couple different, right? With Havilar and then Salona. Oh, Havilar yeah. It's yeah. not really a god. But anyway, right. uh, but like in, uh, even in my game, I think that is something that's of interest to him strongly. But then there's, then there's others who just, they, they like that the gods are out there, but they're not looking to make any connection to a single god. They, they, they don't mind having encounters with them being important enough to be noticed by the gods, but they're not the kinds of characters that want, that get right. like an identity piece from this connection to a right. god. Uh, and I think that that's some of our players too. And so I think just like anything, players are all different and different things matter to them and different things make it fun. So for you exploring yeah, yeah. these celestial right. planes is one thing, but you're not necessarily looking to, you know, when you met Arafel, you didn't like think, oh my goodness, 
I I am like her number one disciple, and she's yeah, right. going to communicate through me. Yeah. So poor Josh, he's actually <laughs> she's actually communicating through um, Sylvia, right? Yeah. <laughs> Although Josh's character kind of has made an impression in her god godhood mind. Yeah. She does recognize who he is. She has communicated with him. I believe. Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, there is hope yet. But, yeah, that, yeah. That's a good. That's a good point too. Like even you know if if it's playing a role in your game that remembering those player types and what they care about, you know, is like, I don't need to push like, Oh, you're going to be the, um, you know, the vessel of this person. If they're like, I don't really, I just really want to crack orc skulls with an, with an ax, you know, like, it's like, cool. Right. Let's like, and, and just paying attention to that. So that, that is a good point. In that, for sure. But like there was a game and I don't remember who ran it, might have been you. <laughs> I'm trying to think, but uh, but anyway, uh, the Raven Queen was a big part. It was when I was the, I think a Tifling. Anyway, yeah. like I really took like a an identity piece from that. I began to think, oh yeah, because she was like, she was all about. I'm trying to remember now. <laughs> she was all about like death happening the proper way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So anything undead was an abomination to her and like these people who were doing something. And I like made it, it became like a big mission of mine to kill um, the magic people for, you know, and to the people who were causing this undead because right, I yeah. was identifying so strongly with like the fact that there had been, I don't know if there was even a visitation or somehow I had gotten, yeah connected with the, the Raven queen. And that just seemed cool to me. And so yeah, that right. began to influence the way I developed and the things that became important to my character. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, again, we're getting into gods. Um, Cause in that game, I don't think I did any planar. I never saw right. into yeah, a, a yeah, godly yeah. plane or anything like that, but uh, that's the next step I think is to sometimes be kind of called into that, that plane or to have them visit this plane and, yeah. Again, I don't know enough about the, uh, I do think that there's a place for the person who's like, Hey, I want to make sure that cause cosmologically and, and planar I'm, I've got all the right gods that are in this system yeah. and I know how they all relate to one another. And, yep. uh, that's part of the fun for them is playing within that system. And then there's people Absolutely. like you and me who are like, Hey, this person seems awesome. I know they're from, like, you know, <laughs> Pathfinder, I'm going to shove yeah. them in here. And then this mm -hmm. person's from a video game that I once saw. I'm going to make yeah, them yeah, a god. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, take this right. person and here's all your gods. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it's good. It's good both ways, just depending mm -hmm. on your, uh, you as a GM. And that's part of it is you figuring yep. out who am I as a GM? What do I love? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Put that together. Be consistent. Yeah. There, and there's lots of, lots of opportunity. You know, if you're like digging into that, man, I really want to. I want some planes involved in my game or uh, to bring in some of these like deities from these games. Like there, there's so much, uh, so many resources out there. Um, you can pull that up online pretty easily and find that, do some reading and let it spark interest, you know, let that, let kind of drive you forward into like, what's actually good for my game. What's gonna, what's gonna be um, gripping for my players kind of thing. So, yeah, definitely. Definitely let this be part of your world building, though. Uh, as you're planning everything at the very beginning, think about how am I going to introduce cosmology in planes? Yeah. Yeah. With that, though, I think we're going to move on to our NPC for Absolutely. the day. Uh, this person that you could drop into a game, and we got us a good one today. Who is yes. it? Yes. 
This is Gerard Marriott. I'm going to give him Gerard because he's got two R's instead of Gerard. <laughs> Gerard. <laughs> um, he's a charismatic pretender. And I, I can only assume this is a Friends <laughs> reference. I can't think it's anything else. <laughs> How you doing? That's, that's <laughs> With a his, capital U. That's his line. He would say, How you doing? How you doing? A little Joey Tribbiani there. But uh, his appearance, his dazzling smile and long locks of golden brown hair make women weak in the knees. Twinkling green eyes show a hint of amusement. Breeches complement a silken blouse, which reveals a manly hairy chest. <laughs> um, <laughs> role playing. Gerard is a quick witted, is quick witted with an easy air about him. A disarming smile is always on his face and nothing seems to bother him. Outwardly, he's a flatterer and a smooth talker. But underneath, Gerard is playing for his next big score. He gives a good story, but it's quick to fold under pressure. He has a few scruples. Uh, he has few scruples beyond ensuring his own survival. Apparent lack of intelligence is just a play on his part. Um, his motivations are that he is a swindler and a con man. He'll sell anyone into the dungeon if it will advance his financial position. Lecherous, he uses the affection of others to advance his personal gain. He's charming and handsome. Um, he has a penchant for being both recognizable and forgettable, depending on his needs. He floats from alias to alias with practiced ease, going from one erstwhile lover to the next, all the while cleaning out their purses. His sordid background has made him a jack of all trades. He slides into assumed roles with little difficulty, and underneath it all, he's unashamedly a coward, though, and he will readily admit it. A lover, not a fighter, he flinches at the mere mention of violence. He is well connected with the word on the street. So that is Gerard Marriott. I like that last line. Yeah. The connected yeah, with yeah. the word on the street. That's where I would begin to use this guy. And uh, they, whether they intended it or not, by saying, how you doing? Uh -huh. It's going to be hard not to think of him as a Joey, Joey <laughs> yeah. Tribbiani. So even if he has long locks and green right, eyes, yeah, which I yeah. don't think Joey no, had. I don't, no. <laughs> I don't know if I could tell you about the eyes, but... Uh, this idea of kind of like, I mean, you think of Joey, he, he never came off as like the smart one, right? It was always like he was saying something and everybody's like, Joey. And they're looking at him and he's like, what? <laughs> you know, or, uh, yeah, I think this could be a fun guy to play. Yeah. And he's a fun guy because, um, yeah, the, uh, the looking for his next score is not right. always the best selling anybody into a dungeon for money. Right. But the idea that he kind of is connected with what's going on in the world, that's always helpful in an NPC. Mm -hmm. The fact that he can be like charming and yet like a little bit uh, clueless, that can be fun to play in a game. Uh, and it can like help him find out stuff that your characters need to find out, yeah. um, that sort of thing. Uh, fun role playing with PCs if you get to, you know, if you can embody that NPC. So yeah, just go yeah, watch yeah, a bunch of sure. friends episodes and then like <laughs> take a look at somebody with like long blonde hair and green eyes and kind of marry the two and play yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, um, I really liked the line that he can be, he can be recognizable or uh, forget, uh, forgettable was yeah. in there. Like I, I liked that line a lot of just the, that idea of him being able to float in those ways of like being kind of the party, I think in some ways and like just everybody loves them kind of thing or can kind of move through the crowd and not 
not be remembered, you know, kind of, I, I liked that idea of like a true con in that way. Um, I, I wondered, like I was something I was thinking about this week as I was thinking about this guy is um, what it would be like. So I, I think the way it's written, it's just a, like a man, like a human, you know, like I, I think kind of think of him as a human as far as that, but um, like the role of like a shapeshifter and someone like this, and what that would do, like, does that make it, and maybe this is going a little too, like, in the weeds, but does it make it less, is he less interesting because he can do it so easily if he's a shape, you know, like a um, changeling or uh, doppelganger or something like that? Or is that, like, bring an interest level to it in your mind? You know, I, I've been trying to, like, kind of think through that of... Like, would it be would it be more interesting if it turned out to be someone shape shifting, and that's why they can be so charming, or are they cooler because it's just a dude, but he's good at what he does? <laughs> you know, kind of. I don't know. What do you think about that? I have a love of shape shifters and changelings, yeah. doppelgangers all around. Always fascinating to me, and uh, I don't think you can use too many of them. <laughs> I, I, Everyone's I a changeling. I don't think there should be a lot in the world. Right. Uh, I think what makes a doppelganger or a changeling like so uh, terribly interesting is the fact that there's like hardly any, if yeah, any, right. of them that anybody even knows about. Uh, because if everybody was, you know, who cares? Yeah, yeah, everybody yeah could be right. anybody. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it'd be okay. I think the hard part here for me is keeping him differentiated from a bard. Because anytime yeah, you see right. somebody who's like charming and you know good looking and that that's kind of what i always think of when i think of the bard the bard yeah, is that right, guy right, right. he's got the face you know he's the face from a team he's face man he's the guy who's like always out there he's like <laughs> trying to charm everybody he's never murdoch yeah. you know he's that's not the bard the bard is the charismatic guy and right. so it would be for me keeping this guy somehow separate from the bard and maybe it's that he is you know thicker and more burly and has a more hairy chest than your typical bard <laughs> but you know when they say he wears a silk blouse and breeches i'm like oh, it's yeah. starting to sound like a bard yeah right right <laughs> so, right yeah a person like in in the game i'm the door uh not door mine jade masks uh game there was a a guy that you guys came across um that had, he was a he was a magic user and he was an enchanter kind of thing of of uh enchanter he was doing, doing like basically enchanting people to, you know, whether it was like domination or, or just charm, you know, was the kind of thing, but, um, he was Jim Jones and a bunch of people, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you guys, they, they really didn't have any, any choice at all, you know, of like this kind of brainwashing that was going on. But, um, when you, you went to that like trading post that was on the edge of the kingdom and, uh, show up and like, everybody's just kind of mindlessly, except for the kids, kids were, were immune to it. And that's kind of how the, it came out was like, no, they, they're acting really weird ever since that guy came, you know, kind of thing. And, um, that was really interesting. I, I think about that guy in terms of the way that this seems like it plays to of, he had some like natural charm, but that natural charm led to him being able to use the magical charm that he had and, uh, like how that could kind of, Cause he was just living it up. Like, well, got my own personal 
place to live and food on the table and everybody just does my bidding, you know, kind of thing. And so I, I think that can be an interesting, like, uh, antagonist, but not necessarily, again, this isn't one of those, he's not going to fight you, you know, the way this is right. written. It's like, as soon as the, the swords come out, he's like, nope, I'm done. You know, it's like, I got nothing. <laughs> I give, what do you guys All want? Day, you know, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. What can I give you? So, um, which I think is, is sometimes refreshing too. It's like, not everybody's, not everybody should fight to the death every time you put them against, you know, kind of thing. People are going to give up. People are going to run away. People are going to just choose not to because they're scared, you know, or smart, <laughs> you know, in a lot of cases, as your players get more experienced and higher level, it's like more people should be not trying to fight these people, you know, cause they're just too powerful. But yeah, I, I thought he was pretty interesting. I, one more thing. I just think he once again could fit into that encounter, you know, that we talked about earlier of this easily could be, you know, especially when you're talking about people who are fake fighting monsters, it's not really a battle that's happening. They're just mm -hmm. acting like it sounds right up a guy's alley who, you know, wants to con everybody and refuses to, to fight. And maybe if he's a changeling, he comes from a different plane. So we just bring oh, it all together. Look at that. <laughs> Tying it up with a bow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I never thought about, about that. But yes, mm. you, very much could be part of that adventuring party. Yeah. And right. Good NPC. Good NPC yeah. to drop into a, into a campaign, again, to use or to have as sure. part of your repertoire. Yeah, what do we got in the haversack this week? Adam, we have a lot in the haversack and um, haversack some is of it, full. you know, apologies to, to anybody who we don't get to. Um, uh, Josh mentioned that of reminds me of the professor who teaches dark arts in the chamber of secrets. I actually thought about that. It's uh, uh, I cannot remember his name either, but he's like the charmer guy. Um, let's see. Finish aura 438. I found shapeshifters work best as a neutral, uh, as neutral, a neutral player, Villains, I found they are difficult to maintain, especially once the party finds out. Yeah, an unknown party, it's uh, it's led to good games. That's a really good a good point there too, of like letting them kind of be neutral and more mysterious rather than that. I, I remember one time having, I think it was a doppelganger that ended up uh, being like there was a fight, and it was like, well, this is kind of lame. Like once it went to the fight, it was like this is not not actually fun anymore. <laughs> so that's a really good, that's a really good, uh, point there. Um, thank you. Um, Haversack. Yeah. So, uh, we're a little tighter on time today, but, um, so apologies if we don't get to your question because there, it is bursting. Uh, I never <laughs> knew that a Haversack could be so full. So, um, so, uh, we'll jump in here. Um, we've got, uh, to start out, we've got one from Josh Morton. Um, and he, He's asking about CR. Um, so we got the the short of it is how does CR work? He says, uh, hey, guys, question of the day. Um, I've been helping one of my players, Taylor, out in starting up her own campaign, which is awesome. Good job doing that, helping her along. Um, that's cool that Taylor's starting that. Um, but he says, I'm struggling to explain how CR works within the realm of 5e. Uh, can you help us out and explain this for us? Thanks, uh, Joshua Morton. Um, I <laughs> don't know. Um, so I laugh because, um, things I'll say is like, I will never feel like CR is not an exact science in my brain, 
by any means. It's there are guideline. so many. It's a guideline, and there are so many variables to it. Um, and like looking back, and I again, I'm I'm probably going to get corrected on some of this stuff, but so we we kind of came in in three five to D and D, and um, it was interesting to me when I first started running thinking in terms of you know i was like oh this is a cr 10 monster so my four 10 level characters should be able to go against that which is true but then realizing later that there was this understanding of like well that's not just like hope they have a 50 50 percent chance of you know surviving this it's like no what it's actually supposed to do is take like 20 percent of the resources and that like totally was like, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense of why they're like destroying these people. But yeah, they use like 20% of their spells or their HP or their whatever kind of deal. Um, and I think it's important to like remember uh, some of that too when we're thinking about CR is it's not like, okay, if I have a fifth level party of four people and I put a CR five, then it's going to be this massive brawl. It may not be you know, kind of thing. Um, so it gets a little weird, especially you start giving out items. If you play it a certain way, depending on abilities, like that's going to be lesser or tougher, you know, kind of situation. Where do they fight them? Have they already dealt with some things prior to this? Or is it the first thing and the only thing for the day that's going to look different kind of deal? So there's a lot of, a lot of variables in there, but I, I like to bring that idea, even if I've not, I've not specifically seen it in 5e stated and it may be, and I just haven't seen it where it's that idea of like 20% of your resources is eaten by this. Um, that may not be exactly the way they're thinking. Um, but I do think the idea of the guideline is good where it's like, okay, I'm going to start kind of testing the waters maybe as a new GM and putting up this CR level against my players and see how they do. Um, and I think there's some ways to tweak that too, but like Matthew, you have, I saw you lean forward. So I wanted to give a spot there for a second. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the old lean gives you my nonverbal. Uh, I think a big thing when I was first starting was uh, I had this idea that, okay, like you said, okay, I've got four fifth level characters. I'm going to find, okay, a fifth level monster. Boom. I put that in. Oh, they beat that so easy. That doesn't seem right. Uh, mm. So I'm just going to increase that CR and I'm going to get it. So I get, you know, a higher CR and they still yeah. beat it. And I wasn't thinking about a couple things. One of them was that it's, it's supposed to be that you run through an amount of resources, resources, meaning uh, their magic uh, and their health points, how much they're going to have left. So some things to think about. Don't give your characters a rest after every single battle. Oh, you fought a battle, sleep for a day. Fought a battle, yeah. sleep for a day. Because part of a CR is it accumulates, you know, you're going to have to go, you do this battle, you've, you're down some spells and some hit points, and then you go along and you run into some more things, and then it gets right. more and more tricky. And so they have to, like, be careful. Uh, if you give them a rest after every single battle for a whole day, they're never going to feel uh, a challenge rating 
of their level. Secondly, it's not just about one big monster every time, which is what I did when I first started. Here's one right. big monster. Here's another big monster. Uh, but like it changes depending, you know, you can have something with a lower CR rating, but if you have four or five of them and they're working together, that's going to be harder because you can only attack one thing at a time. If you yeah, have one right. thing and everybody's attacking it, that thing only gets one attack. That's going to be much different than even if you have three things of a lower level and everybody attacks one of those things, but they all get right. attacks back. So there's three attacks coming back instead of one attack coming back and mm -hmm. maybe more depending if they, you know, how they fight. Right. Uh, so knowing how to mix up uh, and, and I'm going to tell you that even though the challenge rating kind of gives me a starting place, it's never the end for me. I have to experiment all the time. So, you know, I throw in, you know, four or five, you know, second level things. And then right. I throw in, you know, two third level things and then a fifth level thing. And I'm like, okay, what will happen if I throw all this at my characters? Well, maybe that's too much. <laughs> and I see it in the middle of the fight. I have to be able to adjust to that somehow in the way I do tactics. Or yeah, yeah. I get there and it's not enough. I have to know how do I how do I bring more into this uh, next time when we're fighting? How do I? And of course, this is all going to depend also on how liberal of a GM you are at giving mm. out extra gifts. You know, right. stuff. Yeah. You know, somebody who just sticks right to the level chart and gives you no extra magic items and gives you no extra feats and stuff like that. They might be able to depend on that a little more. But I've always been the guy who uh, I think part of you know, rewarding my players is giving them extra magic things and extra right. weapons and extra feats and this and that. And then at some point they're going to get so powerful. It doesn't matter. You're, you're going to be throwing <laughs> monsters that are a much higher challenge yeah, rating yeah, yeah. at them. And they're right. still going to be like taking care of them. Uh, and you have to remember, yes, this is just one fight of many, and this is some of their resources. And there's times where you want them to fear death, and you're going to like have something that's so much higher than them, yeah. and they're going to be like, oh my goodness, we barely made it out alive. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a whole bunch of things that go in, and I know I just threw out like a ton of different you know, permutations, but uh, challenge yeah. rating is really one of those things that as you do more, you begin to get a better feel mm -hmm. for the makeup of an enemy party. <laughs> They're not yeah. always a party, but like the enemy right. battle yeah. that comes. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, just I'm looking at the chat here, but with Taiyo Hotel, this makes our salt marsh stuff make a lot more sense. It's been quite a grind of a dungeon. Yeah, I think some of that understanding helps just to kind of understand how those play. Um, Phoenix Aura, I see CR as a useful tool, but not as an end-all be-all. Yes. Right had five i love this i had five five uh first sorry i had five level five players almost died to three ghouls and after that had a session before we killed a young dragon except for the yeah. dice as well and that again yeah. that's those variables i i totally agree um and taylor still kind of a uh, new player brand new dm sorry if i missed it but what's the jumping point for figuring out what cr you should use and that that's um i don't know if this is the taylor hey um awesome that you're jumping in if you are and either way, either way, awesome that you're a new DM. So welcome. Um, but uh, the uh, really basic idea is um, it's like CR is uh, if you have like four third level characters, then like a CR three would be a balanced encounter for that. Um, so if uh, I'm this is probably not right, but like an ogre, you know, kind of thing. If an ogre is a CR three, that'd be a nice challenge according to the CR rules for four third level 
characters. Um, so that's kind of the basic jumping off. But again, we're we're all kind of agreeing it's a good tool, it's a good guideline, um, but there are a lot of variables that go into that. And something I would recommend um, even more than just trying to like calculate it out, um, there's a couple resources. One is that um, even like in D&D Beyond, if we're, we're talking 5e specifically in this question, um, D&D Beyond has a beta like uh, encounter builder. And I actually don't agree with the way that it calculates for my game, at least. Like, I think I'm, I tend to give out a lot of gifts and they're overpowered probably, but um, it doesn't always match up the exact way. I probably throw a lot more quote deadly encounters at them than what you should, but they deal with it fine. Um, but the beta thing is a pretty good help to the guideline. It helps to kind of understand how enemies compound where it's like, you know, two CR threes, what that kind of becomes, you know, and, and how like deadly it would look to your, your party. So that's a way to use that. Um, a, a thing I have not used, but looks like really helpful and it's kind of in the same vein is actually called a uh, Kobold plus fight club. Um, you can just Google that um, Kobold plus fight club. And it's a way to like throw in um, just different monsters and things like that. And it kind of adds up like what that looks like. And if you're a, a GM, a DM that wants to use um, like XP specifically as like leveling up and things like that, that's really helpful too, because it, it even generates the XP that would be like, if I have all these level four characters and I put them up against these, here's the XP, it kind of spits it out. So that's like a super helpful tool online that I would, I would highly recommend like using one of those um, kind of things. I don't know if you've, you've brought up your, like um, the Pathfinder thing before. Did that kind of do that too, Matthew, when you were? Yeah. Using so that? I had a, a separate program called combat manager and they made one for pathfinder and they made one for D and D 3.5. And when I say they, I mean a guy somewhere <laughs> made this, yeah. put it up. It was a pretty small little uh, program. I don't, I think it was free, but I don't know if he's continuing that with, you know, as D and D has moved online and they've got all their other stuff, but it was nice because yeah, you could throw in whatever sorts of uh, CR monsters you needed. And if they weren't enough, you could like, elevate them you could raise their cr yeah, by yeah. either raising their hit dice or putting a giant tip one on you just right. click that and it would change all the stats for you and it was pretty handy yeah. uh, i wish he was still doing stuff like that uh, because for me i like the flexibility of being able to change things and right and uh he made that possible yeah i think yeah. i think though as a gm the big thing is don't be afraid to build in that flexibility yourself if you're playing and it seems like your people are just beating down the enemies that's not very fun as fun yeah. as it sounds sometimes it is uh like yeah. we have one guy who he just wanted to like wipe out swaths of people with one hit you know and mm -hmm. so i put him on this roll with 300 kobolds you know and right. he just went crazy as a wizard just like blasting you know yeah. killing them and that was fun for him but sometimes if it's too easy that's not fun if it's too hard that's not fun and so as a gm keep your pulse keep your finger on the pulse of the game and the players yeah. and that doesn't mean that you just totally nerf the the monster if, if it like if they're sometimes they have to be afraid for their life and they have to know to run <laughs> or yeah, die yeah. Yeah. and that's okay too uh but sometimes you don't want that to happen and so you need to know how do i with tactics make some some of the enemies 
like give up at a certain point or run at a certain point instead of fighting to the death, everything, or how do I know when this is too easy? And so I have to bring in other monsters, you know, the something kicks down the door and like five more flood in, you know, uh, because I need that because they're just wiping the floor with them. So as a GM, don't be afraid to like do what you have to do to make it fun. Remember the whole ultimate goal of this Thing that we do called gaming is to build fun stories together and yeah. it's no fun if they just beat everything with no n- no trouble and it's no fun if they die at, at the you know first hit of everything yeah. you bring to them. that's no fun either so it's somewhere in the middle yeah. and as a gm when you're first starting it's a, a little feels a little bit more daunting than it is but you know just start by plugging in some things that seem about right cr wise right. and then think okay i can I can adjust mm-hmm. this on the fly if I have to. I can bring in more. I can sure. I can give this thing a few more hit points than it had to start. That kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that, that's a good, um, I think, kind of to end here before we have to jump off. Like, Phoenix Aura brought up that opinion on changing health for monsters. Um, when it comes to little fights, I use set health bosses, however... Um, the death is when the fight seems to begin to be dull. I found it keeps the fight fun. And, um, I, I do like, I, I'm agreeing, you know, with both of you too. Like I, I think there's points and I have a little bit of a head cannon in that too. Maybe I'm just trying to justify, but I'm like, you know, not every human can take a punch the same way, you know, and like maybe not every goblin has seven health. (laughs) Some of them have three, some of them have 12, you know, and, um, I, I do, you know, I, I think like the pacing of the battle, that is a thing where you start to look around and all right, three people are like twiddling on their phones because we've been fighting this, you know, whatever forever, you know, kind of deal. And um, I think that's like, that's important to pay attention to of also like if they're striking the goblin and it's like, man, they needed one more HP, I'm probably going to kill it. You know, it's like, yeah, you you cut it in half and you move on, you know, kind of thing of trying to make that more dynamic than, than that, or, um, less, I think less times, but sometimes it's like, wow, this, these, this thing's getting annihilated. Maybe we should raise the HP a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do that, you know, and in, in the moment kind of thing. And, but I, I want to be consistent with it too, where it's not just like, oh, well, I'm, just pulling the rug out from under people when they think they're about to win either. So I think that's important. Um, just for like one more thing on the CR, I think, uh, you know, if you're building that, um, be, be cool with like testing it out, you know, trying this out. Okay. That was like super easy. We can learn from that next time, maybe know how to add things in to make it a little bit, a little bit stronger. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, again, we got a lot of stuff in the haversack, but um, we're going to need to hold, hold off on to some next of that. time. Yeah, yeah we're not going to throw it away. The haversack <laughs> yeah. can luckily hold more than it looks like. So Absolutely. we're going to hold on to that. Yeah. We are uh, both a little crunched for time today, so we're going to go ahead and end here. But we are thankful that you guys joined us here for Cosmology yeah, and Planes. We're continuing in the world building. What are we talking about next time, Adam? Uh, actually, next time we're moving away from world building, but we're going to have a guest, Josh Morton, who is in the chat today talking about hey. new gaming experience, new GMing experience. All right. Yeah. So yep. new gaming, new GMing experience. Talk with uh, guest host Josh Morton next time. Be sure to join us here on Rise of the GM. Yeah. Thanks all Thanks, for guys. being a part of it.